Hey, what's up? It's episode 115, Pain Points of Wealth, and the Fed put is back. Uncle Jay Powell, he's got your back. Every single bank in the country, every deposit is basically being backed by the Fed as we speak, stabilizing the entire financial system. Is this just a Band-Aid to put on a bigger problem with the banking system? Well, we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about exactly where we see the banking system, where we see the economy right now. Does this mean we're going into recession, or is the Fed going to start taking the foot off the pedal, stop raising interest rates, and give us that soft landing we've been talking about. And on the tipping point today, we're going to talk about reallocating your portfolio. Is it time to reevaluate your investment strategy? Should you be doing something different? Well, we're going to get into it. Check it out. Hit the music. Hey, Ryan, I don't know if it's a Band-Aid or not. It might even be a tarp. Huh. I don't know. I mean, uh, Band-Aid, you're talking about insuring 100% of all deposits. It sounds like a body prophylactic to me. <laughs> well, it just seems like bankers make bad decisions. People on Wall Street make bad decisions. And us, the taxpayer, guess what? Get to bail them out. Even though uh, Janet Yellen told us that uh, it wasn't a bailout and we weren't paying for it. I'm a little confused right now. I think they should call it the uh, Banking Asset Relief Fund or BARF. <laughs> yeah, well, now yeah, I'll tell you what, that, yeah, the Fed is really good at, at creating new lending facilities, right? You know, we had, you know, all these wonderful acronyms in 2008. Now we have the B, was it the BTFP, right? The Bank Term Funding Program. Um, I mean, it's, uh, you, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, they're good at making it up. Uh, hopefully it works. Well, I think it's always a good thing when, you know, the federal government basically goes in and pays for everybody's gambling debt. I think I don't think there's any issues with that at all. It's not everybody gambling, Chris. It's only the bankers, right? It's other people's money. You know, it's your money. It's it's not their money. It's your money. So it's a, it's a big difference. But I mean, when now when you, you give the bankers carte blanche, right, you got 100% backing of depositors. You think there's a little moral hazard there, guys? Yeah, it might think, be a little bit. I think there might be a little bit. And it's amazing to me. I mean, you're right. These bankers, obviously, Silicon Valley Bank, they took too much risk, right? They were going out and buying these longer term bonds just to get a little more yield until everything blew up. And look, guys, like I'm not a financial genius, but we think about risk management at our firm. You know, we oversee over a billion dollars. And we know when interest rates go up, bond prices go down. It's like investing 101. And when you need to have cash on hand for any sort of like cataclysmic event that can happen, well, these banks were not thinking about that <laughs> because, again, to your point, Bob, it wasn't their money. So if it all blows up, well, you know what? Guess what? The American taxpayer can bail everybody out. It's pretty messed up. Hey, guys, one thing that we did uh, recognize is that we did have a yield curve inversion and it's been predicting recession, which so far there's no sign of. But every time there's been an inversion of the yield curve, something breaks in the financial system. So it's got a 100 percent track record. Right. They just broke the banking system again. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it definitely signaled that, but it also could be signaling. And I think it does that the federal reserve after tomorrow's meeting, uh, may raise one more time or they may be done. We may get a pause. Yeah, no. And that's, that's, I mean, kind of perversely, this might actually cool off the interest rate hikes that we've seen by the fed. And if that is the case, like that might be the sign that finally we're starting to see inflation come down. We start easing financial conditions. And again, that labor market continues to remain tight. Well, that sounds to me like, like we've talked about a lot, we might just not land this economy. Sounds like we might just keep chugging along. And I mean, I have to say, we were probably some of the only people out there that have been talking about this, that, that potentially we're not going to see this thing fall off a cliff. 
Yeah, it's true. I mean, I'm getting calls every day from our clients, you know, in light of all these issues with these banks saying, are, are, is my deposit safe? You know, would be better off being in short-term bonds. I mean, the news is really focusing on all the negativity and not any of the positivity that's going on in the market right now. That's really one of the big risks, guys. If we get this disintermediation, right, get every depositor in the country running out of their bank and, you know, buying short-term treasury bonds from us, uh, that could cause a huge problem. But I don't think most people pay attention to what's going on with their bank balance sheet. Uh, I think that the government just keeps messaging, you know, that we're everything's covered, everything's safe. Uh, I think they could avoid a panic. You know what's going to save us? It's the laziness of the American cons consumer. <laughs> you know, it's like that's, that's the fact that the inertia of money. People are just going to be too lazy to move their money from the bank. I mean, you know, we joke about it, but that's probably true. And to your point, Bob, if that if everyone was really on the ball and said, "I'm going to get my money into a treasury fund." get a better yield, that would actually be a big problem for the banks. So let's let's hope Americans do what they normally do. They just let their money sit and they don't pay attention to it. Well, you know, I had a client call me the other day and say, Bob, this must be a trader's dream, right? You know, having all this volatility. I said, are you kidding me? This is a trader's nightmare, right? Two, three weeks ago, we're debating whether we're going to raise the uh, Federal Reserve <clears throat> is going to raise rates, you know, a quarter or 50 basis points. Then suddenly, right, a week later, two weeks later, the market's saying we're one and done, and now we're going to see rate cuts. Um, you know, somebody told you they're trading this thing profitably. You know, I've got some swamp land I want to sell you in the Everglades right now. <laughs> Can I take a loan through the Bank of Bob? <laughs> what, again? <laughs> I think you're overdrawn, Chris. I'm, I'm going to check. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to check with the ex-checker of the uh, Bank of Bob, you know, your mom. Yeah. <laughs> well, 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 a couple of interesting things last week. We had three bank failures. Yet the market didn't go down, which is remarkable, right? We didn't get this big sell-off that a lot of these strategists have been anticipating. And meanwhile, you know, what we didn't really pay attention to was we had a lot of good economic data last week. Jobless claims were down again. Um, we had core retail sales were up, means people were spending money. So, it, you know, if you look at the underlying economy, like the data just keeps chugging along and it keeps looking, you know, not, not amazing, but not terrible either. And again, it's just indicative of if you ignore the noise, we've got a relatively healthy economy right now. And if this banking situation is stabilized, well, I mean, man, you know, you're sitting on, you've got investors sitting on tons of cash right now. Uh, this market could really, really start moving higher. No, I agree with you, Ryan. I think it's one of the things that's not known right now is that there isn't a credit crunch, right? Bank loans at an all-time record high as of March 8th. Now, this is preceding this bank crisis, but, you know, up till March 8th, Banks weren't having any problem making loans. You know, businesses weren't having any problem, you know, getting financing. So, you know, it doesn't indicate at all uh, that there's a credit crunch uh, or does there seem to be one on the horizon. But it's something you want to pay attention to. And I know we're going to pay attention to it. Well, I was talking to a, a prospective client the other day and they were just talking about, you know, they're going to retirement now and they were talking about all the things that they want to do. Um, one of the things they talked about is that they're doing all these home improvements. I mean, it's not stopping anybody. They're going to spend $150,000 over the next year to improve their house. So people are definitely spending money. Well, when you have jobs and your wages are going up, I mean, what, what do Americans love to do? They love to spend money. And I think, you know, unless that's going to fall off a cliff, and we mentioned the demographics on this, it's just it's just too hard to cool off the job market because there's just not enough workers in America. That's really going to be hard to curtail people's spending. Well, it is, Rob. But, you know, Chris, there's been so many pundits on the national news that have been jawboning about this recession, right? And and that's the number one question I get from people is, Bob, where's this recession everybody's talking about? But there really has been sort of a, you know, as I think Ed Yardeni calls it, a rolling recession, right? It did hit the housing industry. I talked to any of my clients who are contractors, 
they're actually laying people off because the housing boom, you know, busted a little bit, right? So housing prices are going down. People stop buying houses because interest rates went up, mortgage rates are higher. Now we're having a rolling recession into the, um, you know, into the banking industry. But, you know, meanwhile, you, you got capital spendings going up. I think you're going to see a lot of onshoring. So it's, it's, it's kind of a delicate balance. But so far, you, you seem to be muddling through in terms of the economy. Well, wait a second, Dad. I take issue with you saying that all the pundits are saying we're going into some kind of recession. There's one pundit, he's Ryan Payne. He's on Fox Business every Tuesday morning. He says we're not going into a recession. I think he might be right. I mean, it's probably the most important pundit out there when it comes to uh, giving gifted insight into the economy and to your soul. Um, but <laughs> it's such humility. No, Chris, I think I think your brother had a hard landing and it was on his head. But, uh, <laughs> you know, let's, let's, we'll yeah. debate that another time. <laughs> well, you know, another interesting thing, too, though, that I saw there's the survey of business owners. And I think this is kind of indicative of what we're hearing when we talk to people is 53 percent believe that we're going to be in a worse situation next year. And only nine percent of business owners thought that conditions were going to improve. However, in the same survey, 54 percent said they plan to increase payrolls and said their profits are probably going to rise, not fall over the next 12 months. So it's kind of like, well, my business is going to do great, but obviously the overall economy is terrible. Um, and I think that's kind of the mentality right now. What people don't realize is everyone's feeling pretty good about their business right now. We talked to a lot of small business owners across the country. It's like, oh, yeah, I've got to increase my payrolls. Times are tough, but my business is going to have another record year. So it's kind of like there's this disconnect here with what's really going on and what you're hearing in the news and what people believe. Well, that's sometimes how we skew our view of, of investing, right? We look at our what's happening in our own area. Um, you know, good friend of ours is a CPA in South Jersey, and and he's kind of had a negative outlook because all his clients are in the housing industry. So you know, he said, "Man, things are really bad," but they're not. You know, when you look at the you know the economy overall, so it's um, you know I don't know if we're gonna have a hard landing, soft landing, or no landing, but uh, so far, you know, I, I'm in the soft landing, the no landing camp, and I think I'm gonna stick there for a while, guys. Never knew you were a pilot, Bob. <laughs> Hey, hope you're enjoying episode 115, Pain Points of Wealth. Bob, Chris, and I now have a collective 75 years helping individuals just like you with your planning and investing. This is literally what we do every single day. Everything you hear on this podcast, along with some due diligence of your own, can help you get ahead financially, literally at any stage of your journey. But if you saved over a million dollars for your financial independence plan and you want a more hands-on approach, Bob, Chris, and I will run for your total financial master plan We'll do that with no obligation or cost. It's literally a holistic review where we go through everything. We're going to look at an income plan. If you're getting close to retirement or you're retired now, we'll show you how to take Social Security, how to draw from your portfolio, factoring in inflation so you don't run out of money. Your costs are literally going to double over the next 20 years. you got to factor that into your income plan. We're going to build it for you. We're going to look at diversification. Have you gotten hit hard as markets are completely all over the place? Or are you sitting with way too much money in cash? earning nothing paralysis by analysis. We'll put together a full investment game plan, show you how to grow your money over time, but most importantly, protect it. And we're going to look at fees and taxes. Wall Street loves to sell you high cost products in those annuities, mutual funds, brokerage products, structure products. We're going to go through every single investment you own, do a deep dive, show you where all the hidden costs are, show you how to reduce that cost and optimize your portfolio for taxes. It's not what you make. It's what you take. We're going to give you our full tax playbook. So if you've saved over a million dollars for your financial independence plan, simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan or click the link below to see if you qualify for a free financial review. 
All right, it's a tipping point. This is where we pinpoint the pain point. Of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E, having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. And Bob and Chris, you know, as we know, the market has been extremely volatile over the course of the last year or so. And, you know, what we do, we spend all our time paying capital management is just evaluating individuals' portfolios, really looking at where the, the pitfalls are, let's say, or the potholes in their portfolio are. So I think, you know, it's a good time to talk about, is it time for you to re-diversify your portfolio, reallocate it, or you double down on your strategy right now? Because I have to think a lot of you right now are probably second-guessing what you've done. And is this a good time when the volatility is high to really assess what you're doing? Hey, guys, you know, in my experience, risk is something that's left over after you think you've thought of everything. Yeah, that's true, Dad. And, you know, one of the things I think it's pretty glaring when you look at your portfolio to identify some of the underlying risk is, one, do you own stocks individually? Um, you know, and that's risky because any individual company can go to zero. And you're basically saying, I think that these few companies are going to be the best performers in the market. Yeah. So you're saying, Chris, that maybe I shouldn't have put all my money on First Republic Bank? <laughs> that might be a good idea, right? Well, you know, that's true. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's, it, you can get down into single stock risk. Uh, there's a lot of reward if you do it right. But the um, fact of the matter is, majority of stocks underperform T-bills over their, the lifetime of the company. So the, uh, the, the key is diversification. Risk is something that's only recognized in hindsight in most cases. But, you know, you're able to mitigate that risk if you have a fully, truly diversified portfolio. Yeah, I mean, that's, and that sounds great, Bob. But like, you know, I think what a lot of people say is, what does that mean? And, you know, I think what you have to think about here is like, nobody saw this banking risk coming, right? They have all these strategists on Wall Street that are so smart. Think about it. All their job was, these analysts, was to study the banks and figure out who go wrong. And none of them figured out something was going wrong in the banking system. So like, how can you and me, just, you know, mere mortals over here, figure it out ourselves? So, you know, I think what diversification means is you've got to hedge against any scenario because you can't predict the future. You know, guys, what I've learned over this uh, almost 50 years of studying the markets is that governments and investors never learn, right? They make the same mistakes over and over again. And, you know, look, look at all the books that were written about the great financial crisis in 2008. And you had all these Wharton educated geniuses from Goldman and the federal government. They were making it up almost every day. You go back and look at the decisions they made. They just pulled these ideas out of the air. I mean, they didn't understand the implications of what they're doing. They're ordinary people who promise us they can do extraordinary things. So you just got to keep that in mind when you start to trust the government or bankers. You know, I think, I mean, I think the, the, you know, the biggest issue too is just to your point is just that undisciplined investing, you know, investing with your emotions rather than, you know, investing in, you know, pragmatism, you know, buying things when they're out of favor, you know, taking profits when things are doing well. You know, I think the average person isn't equipped to do that. You know, that's why they need help from, you know, a financial trainer like Ryan and, and you and I. Well, that's true. I mean, you need somebody to put a cold eye to what you're doing in your portfolio because a lot of times, you know, Wall Street, they, they name things in a way that you don't understand the risk. For example, uh, we had a client uh, two weeks ago, Chris, that uh, we met with in the Bluebell office. I didn't meet with him, but, you know, you guys did. I met with him on Zoom and he had all this money in a high yield bond fund. He didn't understand that that meant junk, right? Because Wall Street won't sell junk, but they'll sell you a high yield fund that has credits that can actually go under. You can lose all your principal. Well, you know, I think the tricky part is something can work for a very long time before it breaks, right? I mean, look, look at technology. Those stocks did phenomenal for over 10 years. 
and you look back at the track record and you're thinking, man, like this never does bad or nev never does poorly. You've actually have to go back 20 years to see that technology sometimes, well, does horrible. Um, and that's exactly what we saw last year. And again, you know, going back to surprises, like you never know what's going to happen. Who would guess this year technology right now would be leading the pack, right? It's just so hard to anticipate this. And I think that's kind of the, the mentality has to be is like anti-anticipation, right? We all want to anticipate what's going to happen next. You got to defend against that because we don't know what's going to happen next. Well, you know, the, I think that one of the biggest sayings and most dangerous sayings on Wall Street is the trend is my friend. Well, you know, that may very well be true, but the trend is your friend until it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I like the, the other day I was, I was speaking with a good friend of mine. He's also a client. And he said, well, why don't we just hold off until things are more certain? <laughs> and I said, okay, you know, here's, here's the last 50 years. Tell me which year things were certain, you know, when I invested your money. And he said, oh, that's a good point. <laughs> There's always uncertainty. Um, you know, all these uncertainties are basically the bricks in the wall of worry that the markets climb and have been climbing since everybody who's listening to this have been born. Well, think about it this way, too. Like, take Silicon Valley Bank, for instance. That bank was around since 1988, right? So that was a great trend for a long time. So anytime that stock dipped since 1988, it would have been a great time to buy it. The only time it wasn't a good time to buy it, well, it was in the last week when it went to zero. <laughs> so... That's how treacherous you know, markets are. And that's why you can't really depend on just because something did well in the past, it's going to do well in the future. Well, you know, I, I want to shift gears a little bit here. You know, Dad, you made a good point about talking about how Wall Street really does a great job at marketing these funds, you know, a high yield fund, not a junk bond fund. But you know, the other thing I noticed is that uh, the more words a mutual fund has in it, the more costly that fund is. So <laughs> you know, I think one of the things that you know, most people don't realize is that there are costs of investing can be pretty high. And what they don't realize is that they could do it cheaper and have more money in their pocket. Yeah, that's the thing. A lot of, a lot of investors, they just look at the name of the fund, you know, like Fidelity, Fidelity Contra Fund. I mean, Will Danoff, brilliant investor, you know, he uh, he puts together a good fund. I've met him a couple of times. He can discuss everything in his portfolio. You know, the, the, the sad little story is that he, he's underperformed his underlying index his whole life. You know, that's just a you know, side note. A nice guy to talk to, but you know, someone who has that in a portfolio doesn't realize that you know they might have four or five growth funds with different names that don't say growth fund, right? They say contra fund, um, and not realize they own the same investment over and over and over, which is fine as long as it goes up. But when it goes down, but doesn't feel so good. Wait, I always thought the contra fund was a fund that was made for the uh, for the contras back in the eighties. <laughs> Are you going to give everybody a history lesson today, Chris? <laughs> the other tricky part about building a portfolio is, you know, ironically, of course, you don't want to have too much risk because you find out in a bad market when everything sells off, uh, like Bob says, in hindsight, oh, maybe I shouldn't take in so much risk. But the other risk you have is not taking enough risk, right? Because you need to grow your money over inflation. And historically, you know, you can't just do that owning treasury bonds or sitting in cash. You know, stocks are one of your only true inflation hedges where you can really grow your money over the cost of living. So it's kind of a necessary evil to have risk in your portfolio but determining the right amount, that's really like kind of, I would say, the art, um, less so the science of what we do when we build portfolios for people. And, Ryan, that's an excellent point, right? We talk about this every week. You know, investing is an art and a science, but it's also counterintuitive, right? You're thinking, well, look at my 401k. I have something called a stable value fund. So I'll just invest in that and make my, you know, 1% return. And you don't realize that the big cost of investing, the big cost the big risk in your portfolio is inflation. It, and the thing is, you don't see it. It's kind of like uh, it's vapor, right? It's hidden. 
it's insidious it compounds against you um and you know and that's the problem you know you think you're investing properly but you need to overcome inflation and that's the hard part for investors to grasp yeah to the tune of losing 50 percent of your value over a 20-year period if you're not if you're not invested well you know and this goes back to what we talked about last week too right because all of a sudden, those two-year treasury bonds that were paying 5% now pay 4%. Well, you know, what about in the next year or two when they, the money comes due? What if yields are now at 2 or 3%, right? And you miss that opportunity. So that's why it's so critical when you're investing your portfolios. You got to think long-term. Like locking in some longer-term bonds here made some sense because rates are now starting to come down. Who would have guessed? And the market is starting to go higher. And the other thing is, you know, to get that 5% return, you got to wait 12 months. <laughs> you know, meanwhile, you're missing all this other opportunity in, in other markets. So, you know, I, I think it's a problem with investors in general, and we're building our portfolio, is sometimes we're thinking short-sighted. And when you're doing wealth planning or, or long-term planning, you've got to be far-sighted when you build your portfolio, because invariably, you're planning for the long-term. You know, in your home, you, you want to have a carbon monoxide detector because it's an odorless, right, gas that that you know you don't know it exists in, in, until you're dead, right? <laughs> you need a detector. Really, that's where a financial plan comes in. That's where a true evaluation of a portfolio comes in um, to detect these problems that you can't see, you can't smell, you can't taste, um, but you certainly can see it after the fact. And one thing is, you don't want to die, and you don't want your portfolio to die either. All right, it's the hidden facts of finance, random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. All right, Bob, many expected active funds to shine last year because it was a very volatile year, but for the, for the 13th straight year, that didn't happen. It was close. The S&P 500 index versus active managers, known as the SPIVA report, found that 51% of U.S. large cap stock funds trailed the S&P 500 index. These professional money managers still cannot perform, Bob. Well, you know, Rod, the reason is, is because they can't. And, <laughs> you know, I don't know why many would expect that to happen when there's been just so much academic research, you know, done on this issue. Matter of fact, there's a, a book that I just read recently called Trillions, and that's what it's all about. It's about all the studies that have been done, all the academic research, all the modeling that's been done. It just proves beyond a shadow of a doubt. Don't waste your time paying a portfolio manager to you know, manage equities or bonds or anything else for you. They can't beat their underlying index net of cost. Yet we get pitched over and over again, actively <laughs> managed funds. Go figure. Chris, one rattling aspect of Silicon Valley Bank's collapse was that many analysts didn't see it coming. Of 22 analysts covering the company, the average price target was around $262, according to FactSet. The stock ended up closing down two Thursdays ago at $106 before regulators took the reins and basically shut the company down. These analysts are no good. Well, you know what? As the old adage goes, the financial analysts make fortune tellers look good. Um, no one has the ability to predict the future. Nobody has gifted insight to the unknowable. So why can we expect these analysts to know what's going on with these banks? I don't know, though. I mean, it's my whole job to analyze banks. And I'm not a rocket science. If 90% of their deposits were uninsured, Shouldn't that have been a red flag? <laughs> you know, is it just me? Well, hey, guys, here's the good news. Jim Cramer is now batting a 1,000. He recommended Bear Stearns right before it went under, and he recommended this bank a couple of weeks ago. So 
<laughs> you can't make this stuff up. I mean, he's a, he's batting a thousand when it comes to bank stocks. Well, you know, Dad, I had a brilliant idea to come up with a, a fund that is contrary to what Jim Cramer does and it's sad to find out there already one exists and it's doing really well this year. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bob. According to JP Morgan, while the S&P 500 index has returned a whopping 9.8% annually over the last 25 years, that performance drops to 5.8% if you just take out the best 10 trading days over that time frame. And even crazier, that return drops to 0.8% if you take the best 30 days out of 25 years. That's crazy. Market timing is treacherous. Yeah, it really is. And it's just, uh, you know, whenever I tell someone about this fact, every once in a blue moon, someone will come back and say, well, what if I avoided the 10 worst days, Bob? What would happen? Like, Listen, you, I don't know what the 10 best days are going to be over that kind of a period, but you certainly don't know what the 10 worst days are going to be either. So <laughs> anybody who says market timing works, again, you got a fool for a friend. Yeah, and I'm hearing that right now. Like, I'm just going to sit on the sidelines. I'm not too crazy about stocks right now. I want to see what happens. Well, this is where you're going to miss the boat because when uncertainty is high and everyone's pessimistic, all of a sudden you'll get a big move up. And if you miss that move, again, you miss all your return in stocks. But you know what? I digress. All right. Another great show today, gentlemen. Hope you enjoyed episode 115, Pain Points of Wealth. If you like our podcast, you love our podcast, give us some love. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Leave us some comments. If this is on Spotify, you can subscribe to our podcast. And if this is on YouTube right now, you can like this episode. You can click the subscribe button so you can be updated every week. Click that notification bell so you know every week when we put out a new podcast. Thank you for the support. Your support gives us the ability to continue to do this podcast. That's it for this week's Pain Points of Wealth. Stay loose and keep an open mind. Thanks for listening to the Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Ryan, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management, at BeBullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management. Information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Investment is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed.